Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels, and our guest this week, we've got Max Wilson. Max is a professional walleye tournament angler. I would say that uh, most of you know exactly who I'm talking about when I'm when I'm referencing Max Wilson. We've had him on this show many, many times. And, uh, yeah, he's just such a good friend of the JMO crew here. And uh, Max, he's just a fishaholic. He's a young guy from Wisconsin. And, uh, you know, he fishes all over the Midwest. And, you know, in the last six, seven, eight years, Max has fished or participated in uh, all the major walleye tournament uh, series here in the Midwest. The AIM, the MWC. Uh, he travels for the NWT. And, uh, you know, uh, for Max... He's fished a lot of tournaments, and, and he's, he's he's a young man, but he's definitely running out of, you know, big tournaments or bodies of water that uh, he'd be fishing for the first time, especially really like Destination or some marquee, uh, you know, in the Midwest anyways, a walleye destinations. And Fort Peck is one of them. We find out in this interview that Max has never fished Fort Peck. And with the Montana Governor's Cup Tournament being, uh, as he references in the interview, the Super Bowl of Montana walleye fishing, which I certainly agree. Um, I'm always paying attention to the Gov Cup over there in uh, Montana. And for for Max to find his way, the story that Max, uh, you know, how he found his way to being, uh, you know, registering as the very last boat uh, available, the last spot available for the 2023 Montana Gov Cup tournament and, and getting into this tournament, heading out there for the first time. And he's got some buddies out there. We talk about it. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's kind of plugged into a couple of the local guys and they go out and they break down a super cool big fish bite and they, Max just puts on a clinic and we hear all about it. Uh, in the end, he finished third place in the Montana Gov Cup, which with over 100 pounds for a two-day tournament, which is, as we hear again, is just record-breaking. I mean, just the things that are happening right now in the industry and the, the caliber of anglers across the board uh, in walleye country and just, just how people are utilizing forward sonar, what we're learning from it, and, and, and just you know bodies of water like Fort Peck that we all know has big fish in it. Um, but yet we're still shattering the, uh, you know, the tournament weight totals. I mean, as far as the record, the record, historical records for the state of Montana's two-day tournament record, um, you know, there's been big fish in Fort Peck for a long time. And that re- in recent years, that record just continues to get beat. And I think that's just a testament to partly the body of water and that everybody's doing a great job conserving the body of water and conserving the big fish in it we're catching we're taking care of these fish we're putting them back and uh and and just keeping them in the system but also the caliber of anglers to just find these fish find these fish uh in places that haven't been looked at before and we're just we're just targeting new patterns all the time and max just this story that Max gets signed up to go out and fish the Montana Gov Cup and goes out there and has a ball and, and finds a really great bite uh, along with uh, you know some of his other buddies uh, that are from there. And they just did a phenomenal job and they finished really high in a very competitive tournament and a very, a very cool deal, a very cool story. And so that's what this is about. Max is actually traveling back. He's just in the pickup driving down the road uh you'll definitely hear from the audio max just driving on down the road heading home uh taking the long drive from eastern montana back to wisconsin and uh we get the story just raw and uncut uh just uh just after after the uh the trophy uh after the trophies were passed out and uh and so, very, very fun, very great interview. Anyways, this is a long intro, but I just wanted to build up the story a little bit and uh, set down the groundwork for for uh, the interview. We've got Max Wilson driving down the road, talking about the 2023 Montana Gov Cup and everything that uh, went down and everything that mean that it means to him uh, now that it's over. Great interview. Let's get to it. The fishing opportunities across the state of Montana are phenomenal. If you're from there or you've already been there a bunch to experience it, you know just how special these opportunities are. If you haven't, fishing out west should absolutely be on your bucket list. 
but aquatic invasive species like zebra mussels and Eurasian water milfoil can harm recreational opportunities. As boaters, as anglers, we have the ability to help protect Montana's waters by cleaning all mud, plants, and debris off our boat, recreational equipment, and fishing gear before we leave any access sites. Drain the water from your motor, your live well, your bilges, and allow your boat and equipment time to dry before your next outing. No matter what watercraft you use, please, if you're traveling in the state of Montana, stop at all inspection stations. Together, we can protect Montana's waters. Visit the link in the description of this podcast for more information. That's fwp.mt.gov backslash AIS. Uh, you know, it's, it's the Super Bowl, uh, you know, of fishing in Montana. You know, that's, that's the big one. And, uh, you know, I've, I've watched from afar for a long time. You know, a lot of, the, a lot of my buddies, guys that I travel with on the National Walleye Tour, um, they're Montana boys, and they, you know, they fish it every year. And, you know, they're always talking about pack costs and packages. you got to come out and fish pack. Like, you know, just always talking about it. And, you know, it's never really worked out with the schedule with it being such a long drive. And, you know, with just how hectic my life is, um, you know, back in the Midwest here. And um, I was actually, I just come back from uh, South Dakota for the last NWT. And I was actually out uh, uh, doing some exploring, fishing a lake in northern Minnesota. And while I was driving from spot to spot, I was scrolling through Facebook, and I saw that they posted that they randomly had four spots open up, which is super rare because normally that tournament fills up in the first five to ten minutes um, that registration is open. Uh, so I saw four spots open for a tournament. I didn't really know what tournament it was. I wasn't looking at the page that posted it, and I realized it was the Montana Gov Cup. And uh, I uh, I texted the group chat that I'm in with, with the boys from Montana. I was like, what are the dates of the Gov Cup? I couldn't find it anywhere, and they told me. And it just so happened that was the only open week I had for the uh, entire rest of the summer. Uh, and so I, I commented on uh, on the post, and I tagged Owen. I was like, "You think I should do it?" And within I'd say 30 seconds, I had about five or six people message me wanting to fish. And uh, I actually reached out to my buddy uh, uh, Nacho, we call him, and uh, you know he's fished with us on the on the NWG as a co-angler before he's traveled with us. And, um, you know, I've known him for, for quite a few years. He's a very good buddy of mine. And, uh, he's part of, you know, that dead eye group hangs out with them. So I told him, you know, like, let's, let's hop in this and let's fish it. And so he, he was able to do it and he was able to uh, get it signed up because I was in the middle of a big fish beat down and I couldn't really take, you know, figure out how to get the application in. So we navigated through that. We were lucky enough to get the last spot in the tournament. No way. Um, and I had, yeah, it was pretty cool, and I had a I had about a week to get ready for it. Um, I didn't really know what to expect. Um, you know, I I, I uh, you know I kind of I kind of approach things a little bit differently uh, for tournaments. I don't really do a lot of free like free game study, right? Like, so most people they study lake maps and they like, oh, this is where I'm going to focus. This is where I'm going to start. I never really do that. I kind of like to show up to lakes with with an open mind, um, and I never ever really look at lake maps. And I don't really try and get that much local information because I don't want to have any preconceived notions where I need to be fishing. I want to I want to get there and kind of figure out for myself and let the fish tell me um, and get really the most pure form of information. If the doc talk runs rampant, you know, and people can show you spots, or whatever, but you know, you kind of gotta, you know, find figure it out, you know. And so I, I talked to Nacho a little bit, talked to uh, Owen, and uh, you know. They, they told me it's going to be a blast. It's right up my alley. You know, it's a live scope pitch invite. I'm like, all right, that's all I need to know. I'll figure it out, you know, figure it out from there. And, um, I drove through the night uh, all day last Sunday, but I passed you actually. So I, uh, I you know, I, I, I it out there and got it all done in one shot. And, uh, you know, we got out Monday was the first day of practice. And, you know, it was, it, it was pretty cool. I mean, the lake is very unique. You know, it's, it's got a lot of uh, uh, structure in it, and it's it's pretty straightforward. You know, it's a, it's a lot of mid-lake points, uh, main lake points, uh, main lake structure, you know, like a traditional reservoir. It, it lays out a lot similar to, like, Oahe, um, Sakakawea, um, you know, even Francis Case that I just came from. It's, it's very similar. It's a Missouri, Missouri River reservoir. You know, they all, they kind of, they all have their intricacies, but they all kind of have their similar, you know, basis. And, uh, you know, it was funny. I, I put the live scope in. You know, we, we go go to the first spot, first point, 
scan around. I didn't really see much that I liked. Saw a couple fish. Um, and I hadn't taken a cast yet. And uh, we finally, we hopped to the next we hopped to the next point, and I, I come up to the spot. And out in the deeper water, I, uh, I scan. I see two, two walleye marks. And I'm like, oh, those are two good walleyes. Pitch, I pitch the old uh, trusty number seven jigging wrap at them. And literally first cast, second hop, I get I get absolutely smoked. I set the hook, and uh, the rod didn't move at all. And uh, I, I never net fish and pre fish. I, I refuse to do it. You know, having a rat boat and you're already a billboard, and you got a lot of eyes on you. So you, you kind of got to go incognito, and you're trying to keep things on the down low. So I told Nacho, I was like, don't don't touch the net. Like it's fine. I'll, I'll just hand land it. And I'm fighting the fish, and you know it's just heavy. It's just heavy. And uh, all of a sudden, we both looked down at this fish about 10 feet down when we first saw it. And I just yelled, get the net, get the net, get the net, get the net. And, like, I panicked. <laughs> and, uh, and it ended up being a 32-and-a-half, 12.9-pound walleye. No. And I'm just like, it came up, and we netted this thing. And I'm just, like, mouth wide open. I'm like, what is this? Like, this is, like, is this what pork pack is? You know, and, um you know, that kind of set the stage for probably the most insane week of walleye fishing I've had. You know, it's, uh, you know, the very next cast, I, I caught a, like a 26 and three quarters. And, uh, I was actually disappointed that it was, uh, when it first came out, my like, oh, it's just a pup. You know, because when you're comparing yeah. it to a 32, you know, you're like, oh, it's small. And then you put it on the bump board, you're like, oh, wow, it's actually a good fish, you know. And it, uh, you know, the rest of the week, it was kind of cool because that day we put up like 48 pounds for our best five. The next day, we fished completely different spots. So all week, up until the tournament, we never fished the same spot twice. And every day, except for one day in practice, we put up between 48 and 54 pounds in pre-fish. And on, on our best five fish. And it was it was just insane, you know, like fishing, you know, like seeing these fish. And it was very difficult because, like, it was you were never loaded. You know, these fish are a little bit different. They don't really suspend a lot. They don't... Uh, um, they don't pot up a lot out there. You know, it was a lot of singular onesie twosies fish, you know. Um, and you never really found that big pod like we have on Green Bay, you know, where you get you get in those wolf packs. You don't really have those. So you go into these individual spots and you're looking for one fish a lot of times. A lot of times this, that spot would have one fish. And, you know, it made for some long days and you really had to, you know, cover water. But you know, if you got that cadence just right and were able to dial it in, you, you know, we were having very good days. And it was, it was, you know, help build confidence because everyone we talked to, you know, everyone was struggling all week. The guys weren't catching a lot of fish. You know, a lot of guys were singing the blues. And me as someone who's never seen the lake before, I'm over here thinking like, wow, this is, you know, a crazy bite. Um, and so, you know, it kind of gave us confidence coming through the week. It got a little tougher throughout the week. Um, and it was actually, and it was, it was wild. We had a few different crazy things that happened to us. There was one day we were, you know, it was, the wind blew almost every day. It was windy as all get up. And, uh, there was one day where we slept in because it was so, uh, it was so windy and the wind was supposed to break at like 11. And, uh, we're sitting there and, uh, also we heard a loud pop through the house and everything shuts off. And it sounded like we like blew a breaker. And so we, and which was weird because we didn't have anything really plugged in and we weren't really charging much. And we go through the house and we check all the, we check all the, all the breakers and, and nothing. And, uh, Nacho looks out the back, the back door just to look at the wind. And, uh, all of a sudden he looks and the, the transformer started on fire and burnt the tele- or the, the, uh, the power pole. And, that's what the loud bang was because it snapped off and it, it was just a trans, a live active transformer no. hanging from the wires right behind the house, like 10 yards behind the house. And the, <laughs> so, pole, was on, oh the pole was on fire. The uh, transformer was sizzling. Like it was like, it was scary. Cause like, you know, I, I have, you know, I was a, in the Marine Corps. I was, I was an electrician. So like I have a general understanding of electricity and you're like, that is death. Like, that is deadly that we're looking at, you know. And I'm trying to keep those guys inside the house because they wanted to go outside and look at it. I'm like, absolutely not. Do not go anywhere near that. Don't freaking touch anything, you know. And uh, all of a sudden, it started sizzling, smoking, and fire started. So then we run and grab everything out of the house, throw it in the truck. We call, it, we call 911. Fire department, power company shows up. 
they put it out. So we go, we go fishing, right? And we're sitting out there, and we put up like 53 pounds by in three hours. Like it was no time. We had a huge bag, and uh, also we're fishing. And I look to the north, and I see this like cloud start to build, and it's building more and more. And I, I said to Nacho, I was like, Ah, that looks like that looks like we're gonna get wet. He's like, Oh no, no, we're fine. And I sit there and watch it for about another hour, and pretty soon this thing turns black and scary, and it like quadruples in size. And all of a sudden, next thing I know, and mind you, we're 23 miles from the whole launch. And next thing I know, there's just this giant wall of death coming at us. And I told Nacho, I was like, dude, we need to get out of here. Because, like, you can see, like, the green in the storm, which means hail. And I was like, this is going to yeah. be bad, dude. Like, we need to get out of here. And we were watching funnel clouds start to, start to drop down, like, coming right at us. And so I told Nacho, I was like, we got to go west you know, away from the launch because this thing's going east. Well, he convinces me that it's actually coming right at us and we need we need to go east to avoid it. And I made the mistake of trusting him and we went east and got caught right in the middle of this damn thing. And so finally we get six miles into the drive and it's like the heaviest rain I've ever seen, 60 mile an hour winds. And uh, I just said, you know what? We got to ride this out. So I turn off the motor and lightning striking all around us. And Nacho doesn't have his rain gear. Um, so I, I turn off the motor. I, uh, I run, shut all the power off, all the grass. There's no electricity going in the boat. And we just float. And Nacho's hiding underneath my casting deck because it starts hailing. I run. I, I, of course, don't have my grass covers. So I'm ripping off clothes so I can put clothes over the over my, my uh, grass on the dash. And then I run up front. To, uh, to the bow of the boat, and I'm laying on top of my grass, just taking the pelting by these, you know, dime-sized hail so that it doesn't break my grass. And I'm just sitting there, and I, like, bolts of lightning are striking all around us. Like, it was one of the most intense storms I've ever been in. And I'm just sitting there like, oh, my God, what am, like what did I get myself into? This is the second time I've almost died today. Oh, man. And it was just, like, one of the most yeah. wild days ever. But, you know, we, we go throughout the week, and... Um, you know, we get to that tournament and it just, it, it, it was just, it was a wild week and it, it, uh, you know, it was, it was a, a fun week, but just definitely wild for sure. So tell me about the tournament, you know, like getting through pre-fish. I mean, that was just like a wild, those are some wild stories and even like the non-fishing part of that stuff. I mean, it obviously, you know, those are kind of like some emotional experiences. It's like, you know, that those are things that are almost like distractions or, or, you know, I mean, that's, those are, that's obviously a big part of it. You know, it's a big part of the memory, if anything, but, uh, but yeah, like, you know, coming out of that pre-fish and going into the tournament, obviously you had a big fish pattern going on. Like, tell me about the tournament. It's a two day deal. Tell me about day one. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a unique tournament. Uh, it's a little different than anything I've ever done. I, I think the, the one thing that's different, um, for sure, is they, they have a Calcutta, which is kind of cool. So, um, Calcutta, you can bid on teams, right? You can, like, it's like uh, you're betting on teams, you know. And, and they have a full auctioneer that comes in. They have, you know, spotters, and they'll, they'll name off lots of teams, and, and you can bet on these teams, and you can actually win a ton of money if you win the Calcutta. Um and what was funny about it, um, you know, I had a pretty good idea. Like, it, I, I told the guys, right, and this, like, this isn't being cocky or arrogant. I just knew, like, I knew that we were on, on the winning bite. Like, we had the we had the program and the bite to win it because the majority of the guys were, were bottom bouncing, rigging, trolling lead, and I just knew, like, the odds were not great for them to catch five fish every single day. Um, I knew it was going to be a live scoper-dominated tournament. And I knew I knew I was dialed in, and I, I knew that I I could I could catch five a day if I needed to. Um, and I told Owen and Zeke, the guys we were working with, you know, it's going to be one of us that wins. And there was one other team that was that was live scoping that we were talking to that was on the same program as us, and they were the actual winners. And we were you know we were talking to them and hanging out at the rules meeting, and we were all talking like it, the the anticipation was exciting, you know, because we knew. That it was going to be a, you know, it was going to be a, you know, a dog fight to the bitter end to, to get this done. And, um, you know, for me, it was cool to experience that Calcutta. It was a little, you know, the, the rules meeting was interesting. You know, there was a lot of eyes on me. 
um, you know, some of the locals aren't a big fan of me coming and fishing their tournament. I got a lot of hate from a lot of guys out there um, for just being there, you know. And uh, so there, there was a lot of tension. Um, but it was also great to meet a lot of the, you know, a lot of the people that, uh, you know, follow, follow along and were fans. So that was cool. Um, and then the Calcutta was interesting. I think we went for like forty six hundred dollars. Someone. Oh, yeah. um, so that was a cool experience. And then in the tournament itself, um, it's actually not a live weight tournament. It's a, a length-based tournament. Um, but it's not like your traditional aim tournament. You don't have, uh, you know, you, you don't have, they don't give you an SD card. You don't take pictures of fish. What they do is they have weigh boats throughout the, throughout the field. So you can bring your fish to the weigh boats, and people will jump. You'll pull up to this boat. An official will jump into your boat with a bump board. And he sits there and measures your fish, and then once you're done with that fish, you release the fish. So you never bring any fish in. You're trying not to stress these fish out that much. Um, and the, the weigh boat, you know, the official tells you what you have, and then you can keep fishing. There's no there's no limit to how many you can catch. Um, you know, and it's it's a uh, you know it's a very different different concept. You know, it's because you know I noticed that each weigh boat weighed fish differently or measured fish differently. So you know, you, it was, there was some, you know, some people did it a certain way, some people did it another way. So it was kind of unique, you know, it was something different, something I haven't had to do before, but it was nice. It was nice not to have to worry about taking care of fish that long. You know, we, we generally, we catch three fish, two, three fish, we go under the weigh boat, weigh them real quick, that take five minutes, and you run back to your spot. So, um, and they had them throughout the lake. So that was, that was unique. And, you know, coming into day one, um, it was windy. The wind likes to blow out in Montana. Um, and it oh, yeah. was ripping, and it was ripping out of the north, and it was supposed to kind of be a little bit nice in the morning, nicer, and then it was supposed to rip in the afternoon. So we ran to our our uh, our south shore spot because that had the most fish on it, and I was like, I bet there's not going to be a lot of people there because the wind's going to be so hateful, um, and I'll be able, you know, I have the 72 inch all, I have a 72 inch all tricks that I had custom made. Um, so I had the longer shaft on it. So I'm kind of able to fish the wind a little bit. And, um, I practice, you know, catching them in the wind and, and dealing with the, you know, fan in the butt that is trying to live scope in the wind. And uh, so I felt confident we could go over there, kind of be by ourselves a little bit and do our thing. Well, I get over there and it's like three and four footers. It was worse than what they were calling for. And it was frustrating. I mean, it was really frustrating to fish in. Um, and the fish were super finicky. They, the, the fish on Fort Peck, they're either inhaling your stuff and like you can do no wrong or they want nothing to do with it. Like that, that place will humble you so quickly. Um, and in the morning they were, they were finicky. I mean, it was frustrating. I was getting very frustrated with the wind and boat control and, and these fish were moving a million miles an hour, but I started to pick away at them slowly. I caught a 24 as our first fish and I was actually pretty upset with that. Um, because I knew that wasn't that, that fish was pretty much useless to me at that point, but it was nice to get one and have one in the boat. Um, and then I was able to start picking away at them. I, I caught like a 28, I caught a 29, um, and then I had a few smaller, like 27s. And slowly but surely, by about 11, I want to say, I, uh, I had my limit, I had my five. And once we had our five, um, I decided to start bouncing spots. We started going down what's called the dry arm, which is a section of the lake. And we kind of started poking our head around um, for that day to you know, try to upgrade, but also uh, for the next day. I kind of wanted to get an idea where these fish were, if they had moved from where we had them in practice. And I was just making my rounds to kind of, you know, get an idea, you know, what was going on because everything things changed by the day. And uh, we roll into the one spot, and uh, it was much calmer there. And I roll in, there's a pack of boats about four or 500 yards to the north of me, and I roll in down from them to kind of fish around the backside of this point where I caught some smaller fish in practice and I wanted to check and see if they were still there well I roll in and about 35 feet of water I just start seeing big marks everywhere and I start pitching at them and it's literally like I put on a clinic I had like five fish in about 15 minutes and uh, one of them was like a uh, 29 and then we threw back a bunch of like 27 28s that we didn't eat um, and I, I think we had our it was either 29 or 30, one of the two. It was, a, it was a big one. And I boxed that one. And after a little bit, we had those. Uh, I think we were up to 48 pounds. And it was like 12, I want to say. And I told my partner, I was like, look, we can keep beating, up, beating on them here. We got 48 pounds. 
you know, or we can leave these fish alone and save them for tomorrow. Let's go check our, our uh, we had a, a spot in the weeds that held a ton of fish. And I told my partner, let's go look at those, um, see if they're still there, kind of put them to bed, you know, keep an eye on it as a contingency for, you know, for tomorrow. And oh my gosh, I'm so glad I did that because I rolled down in there and I sat down on the spot. I sat down in 30 feet of water because the fish were in like 15 to 20. And I sat out in 30 to come into them. And my graph was kind of acting up. My live scope was, was uh, reconfiguring itself. So I restarted my graph. And when I restarted it and I turned it back on, there was three megas just sitting there, 20 feet in front of the boat. And I was like, oh, okay. I, I pitched to it. And it didn't even hit bottom, and it just smoked it. And that one was a 30, and I went on the best big fish eater I've ever had in my entire life in the tournament, or in a tournament. I had seven fish in seven casts that were between 26 and 31, and it was every cast, like, it was as fast as I could go, and it was hilarious because my poor partner, he couldn't even make a cast. Because I'd set the hook on one, he'd grab the net, he'd net the fish, and he'd start taking the, the fish off the hook. I'd see another fish, I'd pick up my other rod that I had sitting there, I'd swing to that. He'd put, by the time he could get the fish into the live well, I was setting, hook, setting the hook on the next one. My jigging wrap wasn't even out of the net um, from the first one. So he just cut the line on that one, netted the next 30, gets that one in the boat, I pick up my third rod. I pitch again, set the hook, and he cuts the line on that one, puts it in the in the boat. We then drop about a 32-inch boat side. Um, the very next cast after that, he's sitting there clutching with the fish in the live well, and still got uh, he got one of the two chicken wraps out. I retied one rod, and I cast it out. I set the hook, and uh, I turn around, and he's got his head in the live well, messing with the fish, and I go, Notch. He didn't hear me. I go, Nacho. <laughs> And he turns around, he gives me like a little bit of an attitude. He's like, what? I'm like, I got a fish. And he goes, I'm dealing with this fish. I go, oh, my bad. Do you want me to not just shake this one off? He goes, oh, yeah, you're right. And he comes yeah. up and he nets it, you know. And by the end of the heater, he was dripping sweat. I was I was sweating because, this. I mean, this all happened in uh, like less than 15 minutes. And my, these fish bite harder than any wall I have ever caught in my entire life. Like, take, take any big bite that you've that you've caught and that's how the, the walleye fight there and so it's nerve-wracking it's you know and we we went all of a sudden we had we had four upgrades in the last in you know in in 15 minutes and that's what brought us from 48 pounds to 51 and a half and you know we missed we missed one that probably would have put us around uh 54 i think total if we would have landed that 32 and i told him i said dude let's just go in like there's not really much upgrading from here. And so we, we went in an hour early. And, you know, at the end of day one, we were we were sitting in third, two pounds out of the league, you know, and um, that the guy that – actually, the guy who won, the funny story I forgot to mention, the Calcutta, we all – all the guys I was staying with, we all agreed that we were going to buy Brem um, bips in the Calcutta. And so we started bidding on them, and then we were going to – Split, it, split the cost three ways. They got up to like 2400 bucks, And all of a sudden, the guys became Sally's, and they, they backed out. And I went from having to spend like $800 to now it was like a $2,400 bill that I was going to have to put myself. And I'm like, well, come on, guys. Like, that's just one more bid. Because the one guy, he was at his last bid. And we ended up not bidding on him. And uh, Rem ended up winning the tournament. And if we would have, oh. if we would have won him in the Calcutta, we would have won over forty grand just for bidding on him. But yeah, so you know, after day one, it was like you know, in a good place. I was happy. Um, you know, it was, it was like I said, the most fun day um, I've ever had. Uh, I was just looking at my scorecard. Um, let's see here. I'll, 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 I'll tell you what we had on our scorecard. We had, um, according to my scorecard here. There you go. So you, you fill out uh, you fill out a scorecard like a, a weight a weight sheet or whatever that uh, that tells you what you have for weight wise, um, yep. like the weigh official. Yep. 
So on our on our card that we went through that day, we had a 28 and a half, a 27 three quarters, a 24 and a half, a 27 and a half, a 29 and a quarter, a 28, 29 and a quarter, a 30, a 30 and a quarter, a 29 and a 28 three quarters. And that's what we had on our card. We threw back another six or seven fish that were like 25 to 28 that uh, didn't help us. The fishing opportunities across the state of Montana are phenomenal. If you're from there or you've already been there a bunch to experience it, you know just how special these opportunities are. If you haven't, fishing out west should absolutely be on your bucket list. But aquatic invasive species like zebra mussels and Eurasian water milfoil can harm recreational opportunities. As boaters, as anglers, we have the ability to help protect Montana's waters by cleaning all mud, plants and debris off our boat, recreational equipment, and fishing gear before we leave any access sites. Drain the water from your motor, your live well, your bilges, and allow your boat and equipment time to dry before your next outing. No matter what watercraft you use, please, if you're traveling in the state of Montana, stop at all inspection stations. Together, we can protect Montana's waters. Visit the link in the description of this podcast for more information. That's fwp.mt. .gov backslash AIS. I, I mean, so so tell me this now, like like at this point, when when you've gone through day one, the uh, you know, like of that whole experience, like like the overall meaning to you was, I mean, it's got to be one of the coolest, one of the best. It's got to have its own little spot you know, in your career as far as, like, meaningful moments in your tournament career? Does yeah, I mean, it was cool. Don't get me wrong. I mean, that was that was actually the best fly fish bag I've ever weighed in a tournament. Um, I won a tournament in Detroit when I was 18, and we weighed 51 pounds even. Um, so, to weigh, you know, have your best, your, fly, your best bag of your life, um, that was pretty cool. Um, you know, and I, I'm not going to lie, I, you know, and it's just how my brain's wired. I was a little disappointed when we came in because I lost that again. I, I don't know what is wrong with me, but every single tournament I fish, I lose a giant at the boat. Like, I just, I can't fish a clean tournament. So my mind immediately went to when I saw I was in third. Well, that's when I lost boat tie. would have been really nice. You know, and, and it, it's, it's funny because you have your best day of fishing you've ever had, and you're almost disappointed because you're in third. You know what I mean? You're like, ah, I could you know, have been better, you know? But I was I was really happy and it was really fun. That was just a, a fun day of tournament fishing, you know, and, and I don't have a lot of fun days. You know, I mean tournament fishing for me, it's very, very stressful and it's very frustrating. And uh, I let it get to me a lot of times. Um, so to have a day where it was just like not everything went right, but a lot of things went right and the morning sucked so dang bad because it was just so frustrating to deal with. And then to have that afternoon, it was a blast, you know, and it was it was awesome to be in that position. And, you know, I was a little, I don't want to say nervous, but I knew, I knew based off the weight, you know, it was exactly what I thought it was going to be. The guys, you know, all the guys, you know, at towards the top, all but the leader was live scoping. And the thing, the thing that had me excited was the next day was a live scoper's dream. It was going to be flat calm, you know, which is going to kill the cranking and the, and the bouncing bite. Um, and it's going to make it a, a, you know, a dog fight for the live smokers. And I knew Brem was on him. Brem, you know, was catching 50 all week. The guys right behind us who ended up finishing second, um, I knew those guys were good. I knew Zeke and Owen who were in fourth after day one. You know, we were all doing the same thing. So I was like, you got to come out. You got to be prepared, you know. And, and I came out. I was pumped yep. to get out there. I was like, I didn't want to get off the water because this is my bite. This is my this is the very first live scope fight that I ever, I don't want to say perfected, but dialed in, you know, when I first started live scoping. So, you know, cast and geographs, that's like one of my favorite things to do. And it, it was just fun. Like anytime you're chasing giants, like, it's just, and like I told the guys, I'm like, I don't even care what, what happens. Well, I just want to get out there and fish, you know? And we got, we got yeah. out there and I was so excited to get out there. And I got to the first spot and the fish were there for about 10 minutes. And I'm like, this is going to get silly. We sat there and grounded and grounded and grounded. And we got a 25 and a, like a 16. And all of a sudden the marks disappeared. And I'm like, oh. And I could tell that they were finicky as all get up. They weren't crushing it like they were the day before. 
and I started to get a little nervous. And I was getting crabby because I'm like, I, I have this thing that I I have to figure out is how to be a consistent two day angler, right? Like I'm I'm the king of one day weights, and especially on the, like the national walleye tours, like seven out of the last eleven, I've been in in contention for the win on the final day, and I haven't won one yet. So that that was in the back of my mind. Like, and it's not so much winning the tournament; it's just proving to myself that. I can put it into high gear and have at least a consistent thing, right? And and you know if if I have a consistent day and don't win, so be it. I just want to have consistency, you know. And so we, you know, I was putting a lot of pressure on myself, and we started bouncing our spots, and we went to our. our we basically what we did was we did a, a reverse rotation of what we did the day before. We went to our weed spot. I went to that secondary point, and then I went to you know went back to where we started on on day two or on day one and it was about 11 uh, was it 10 30 11 when we finally got five but it was like we had a 26 a 25 and like three 23s so it was like nothing great you know what i mean like just a kind of a blah weight and all of a sudden we pull up on onto the spot where we got them on day one where we got our first five and uh there was a lot of boats there because it, it's kind of a communal hole um, and the, it was nicer, so there was a lot of boats there. And but there was a lot of fish. The fish showed up, and they were they were finicky as all get up. And you know, I, it took every ounce of knowledge for for fishing crowds and how to use a crowd to your to your advantage um, to catch those fish. And you know, all week we were catching fish deep, you know, in, in the thirty plus feet of water. Um, and there was a lot of fish in that thirty plus feet. And uh, you know, I I, I caught one decent one I want to say um, out in that deep water but I kept getting to the edge of the people you know when you get big crowds a lot of times what they'll do is that pressure will push fish to the outside to the outskirts and a lot of times if everyone's fishing super deep I found you know especially on the Missouri River if everyone's fishing super deep they'll push those fish in super shallow and so that's kind of what I did I just kind of slid in shallow and I was just looking around with my scope and I found them again and I found the active ones and they were in uh, less than less than 12 feet of water, and I put on a a clinic for about an hour, where I had three 30s and a 27 and a quarter, like boom, boom, boom. Jeepers. And next thing I know, we went from probably about 30 pounds, so we were sitting at 50, uh, 50 pounds even. And you know, we're high five, and I'm like, dude, we just hit 50. Now we got a chance. Like, let's we're let, we, we're one. I told myself we're one fish away from winning this. I dumped a, uh, I dumped a big one, another big one, and, and it, it's nothing I did wrong. It just, you know, jig wraps. It happens, you know, and it, and the yep. way these fight, it's just. But I told myself we just lost the tournament, and it, I, I'm proud of myself because that's the best I've ever reacted to losing a giant walleye when the tournament's on the line. Because normally that throws me off and like it, it sends me down the rabbit hole. And this one, I yelled one, uh, one choice word. And I moved on, and the next cast I had a 30 incher, so that kind of helped with it a little bit. But I knew in the back of my head, I knew in the back of my head, I was like, that fish is going to come back to bite us. Um, and we were sitting there, we had three 30s and a 27 and three quarters and a and a 26 and a half, and I knew we had to get rid of that 26 and a half at minimum. And uh, we just didn't get bit by a big one the rest of the day. They shut off, um, and you know that that was the way that was the way we finished it was with with those you know three big ones and the two decent ones. And uh, I knew coming in, I was like, we're going to be just short. And uh, sure enough, we held on to that third place position. Um, Rem ended up having another 52. And the guys who were in fifth, I want to say, after day one, they had a, they put up a 53-pound bag. Um, so we wound up with 101.5 pounds, which if we would have won, would have broke the all-time Montana State two-day tournament record. But that weight only gave us third place. <laughs> Isn't that um, crazy? Yeah, it's, it's wild. So the, the three biggest bags ever caught in a Montana fishing tournament came on, you know, during the Gulf Cup. the same tournament. And I just so happened to be part, you know, be part of it. And it was cool, honestly. Like, it, you know, I was, you're obviously disappointed. You know, there was, there was about 10 minutes of disappointment when I came, when I got back to launch. Um, but, you know, I, I started to look at it as a broader broader picture you know it's the you know the last nwt um in uh, uh francis case 
I dumped about a seven, eight pounder both sides. That probably would have put me right there um, to be in contention for the win. Um, but I had two consistent days, right? And I told, like, I keep telling my buddies, I said, once I figure out how to put two consistent days together, once I once I put it together, it's gonna, it's, it's, I'm right there to take that next step where I want to be. And finally, for the first time in two, two, three years, I have back-to-back tournaments where I put together two very good days. Um, and for me, the whole reason why I fish tournaments is to get better every time. And that was something I was proud of, you know, coming in, putting a 50-pound bag when the bite was that tough on day two on a body of water I'd never been to against, you know, 200 boats. Um, you know, I, I didn't hang my head by any means. And I, was, I was very proud of the finish, um, you know, and it was, it was fun. It was just, it was, it was a fun tournament. And, you know, I'm happy with the third. I would, would I like to have won? Yes, obviously. Um, but, you know, I accomplished a lot, and it, it gives me a lot of momentum rolling into uh, this next tournament. Oh, yeah, man, for sure. Now, you know, talking about the fishing, like I don't want to move on from the fishing just yet, but like, you know, you're a jig wrap guy. You know, we're talking forward sonar. You're, you know, you're you're just, you're casting at individual big fish that you are finding on forward sonar. And you talk about the bite windows or, you know, just like sort of the ups and downs, the mood of the fish and the, and the fish can be finicky. Like, talk to me about, you know, like your setup, are you, you know, they're finicky to the jig wrap. Do you ever tie anything else on? Like, talk to me about some of your decision-making process when you're, you know, you're casting at big fish and they're finicky. Like, do you change sizes and colors? Uh, do you put a plastic on? Do you, are you drop shotting? Uh, do you have any live bait in the boat? Like, talk to me a little bit about your decision-making in that regard. Yeah, you know, I tried it, um, you know, because I'm a big slip bobber fisherman. You know, we've talked about that before. Oh, yeah. And, you know, coming from South Dakota, you know, I was on a similar program, right? Like, I was throwing jig wraps to some bigger fish. But when they got finicky, I switched to uh, plastics. And I have a few different plastics I like throwing um, when it's a reactionary bite. Um, one of them's a bass plastic, and, you know, then I like throwing a, a few different loops and stuff like that. And the bass plastic I like throwing because um, I can work it like a jigging wrap and get it like reactionary strips. You know, once you get to the summer months, these fish kind of stop with the finesse programs. They're like, they'll, they'll still eat a bobber, don't get me wrong, but a lot of times they, they're, you know, their metabolism is so fast and it's just like you got to quick hit them, you know, and, and trigger those bites. And South Dakota was that exactly, you know, a lot of those fish, I had to get right over the top of them and kind of dance, you know, do this like little triggering dance. You know, a lot of people just... You know, they, they hit, hit the fish in the face with it, and that fish chases it down on the bottom and eats it, awesome. If not, okay, well, it's not right, I'm moving on to the next one. Well, what I've kind of dialed in this year is getting on top of these fish and ice fishing and just sitting there in their face, getting the right angle, figuring out which way that fish is facing, and draw, getting it literally right in their face. Like, it, it's, like, a lot of times I'm bouncing it on their nose, and... When, when they don't want to eat, you drop it that close to them. They really have no choice but to react. And there were some fish where I worked for almost 10 minutes to get these things to eat. Um, you know, and, and it's all about understanding live scope and, and reading your sonar and knowing which fish are probably, you know, more willing to bite, which ones are worth spending time on, which ones aren't worth spending time on, you know. And that's kind of what I dialed in this week. That was kind of like the key because a lot of the guys that – you know, I, I was getting, you know, a lot of questions. You've seen a lot of fish chasing, yeah, almost every one chasing me. But, like, for me, it was like a certain, I had a certain cadence, a certain hop dialed in. And then the fish that weren't really reacting to that, it was, you know, I get over them and I dance it, you know. And, and it's just getting it, you know, you drop it down past and bring it up, drop it down. And I'm not even snapping. It's almost like I'm yo-yoing it. You know, I'm, I'm just dangling in their face, like, almost like you would ice fishing. Um, and, you know, for me, it was that that's... That's what the, what the separation was. There a lot of people throwing that stuff, um, but not a lot of people were having a lot of success on it. And that's just what I noticed, like, throughout the country. You know, it's, you can throw the plastics, but I didn't really have a lot of luck on them. This time of year, it's reaction. You know, you got to find that fish that, you know, it's a, it's a numbers game for me. You know, I pitch at, you know, there I pitch at five, six, seven hundred fish a day, you know, and, and I just need five of them to bite. And so I rolled through them, and I locked that jig wrap in. And I know I can get five to eat throughout the day. It's just I need to cast at as many fish as possible um, and stay on top of them. And, and the, 
know, the thing is, each day, at the end of the day, my trolling motor batteries are drained because I'm on 8, 9, and 10 the entire time on my trolling motor looking for these fish. Like, I am, you know, I, it looks like I'm a drunken squirrel running around looking for these fish um, with how fast I'm, I'm moving around for them. And it's just because it's, it's just a, it's a numbers thing, right? Like, I'm trying to be as fast and as efficient as I can. Um, so I'm trying to hit as many as I can. Um, and, you know, this time of year, you don't really need to get away from the jig grab. It's just you need to be versatile with it. You know, there's times sure. where I'll throw on, like, like a shiver minnow, whatever, um, you know, different type of glide baits. But I, I like those reactionary baits. Um, and then out there, I did notice, um, you know, there was certain days where certain times they wanted the number nine, certain times they wanted the number seven. Um, take that. And there were certain times where they, where they wanted a darker, like, perch color bait, and then there were days where they wanted a chrome bait. You know, so it was all based off of what the, how much light penetration we were getting, you know, because we dealt with smoke. There was so much smoke in the Canadian fires, so it was overcast every day. And so that's where your Helsinki's were working really good. So the more Cisco smoke-colored ones. And then the hot steel was, was decent for us. And then you get a, a, you know, a blue chrome was good on the sunny days, you know, and, and so there was times where, you know, I switched I, all week. I couldn't get them to eat a number nine. And of course, like true walleye fashion, they decided they wanted to eat a number nine on tournament day. And I, I switched to a number nine only because I couldn't get down to these fish fast enough in the wind. So I was showing that number nine to get down there quicker. And I had to change my cadence, you know, and, and for me, I, I do a lot of, uh, uh, testing with my baits. You know, a lot of times, there's days where in tournaments, um, I'll go spend an hour, hour and a half in crystal clear water. I'll go power pull down in two, three feet of water and I'll go power pull down and I'll take 15, 20, 30 baits out, different baits, and I'll go just drop them down in the water and I'll sit there and work them different ways to figure out exactly how, like, I, I know every one of my baits inside and out. I know this type of snap gives me this type of cadence. I know this type of snap gives me that type of cadence. And I know, like, it's it's like a puzzle that I piece together on these fish and you have all these different, like, triggering mechanisms built in to get these fish to fire. Um, and that's that's kind of what I dialed in. And that's where, like, those nuances with, like, the sevens and the nines, each one's different. You know, the, the seven kind of glides longer. And I like the seven better if I'm casting at fish. If I'm vertical jigging, your drop rate and your fall speed is a lot faster on a number nine. And when, like, the faster you, you get by them, sometimes that'll trigger the neutral fish, you know. And, you know, so it's just kind of figuring out their mood. So I have six, seven rods rigged up with eight different colors but different sizes. And I just cycle through that. And if I cast at a fish and it's not doing what I want, okay, let me try with the other, other rod to change it up a little bit. Okay, he'll either eat or not. If he doesn't, all right, I'm either gonna try something different or I'm gonna move on to the next fish and and until I find one that that wants what I have. Right on, man. So, so Fort Peck. Did you say whether or not you had fished Fort Peck before? I had never been there. No, never even seen it. Never seen a lake map. Nothing. So really, for somebody like yourself that you know you travel to all the big walleye destinations across the Midwest beyond you know, with your tournament career and just personal fishing, there's not a ton of these left for somebody like you. There's not a ton of like first time on Fort Peck catching over a hundred pounds in two days. I mean, you know, if you added up your scorecards and all the fish that you threw back, you probably caught like, you know, 2000 pounds of walleye in a couple of days, or, you know, you can count the whole week. Like, where does this stack up for you then? I mean, this this might be your last like big wild frontier experience, you know, first time in a big fish place that performs like this. Like, where does Fort Peck stack up for you now? You know, it's it's right there. You know, it's like Green Bay will always hold my heart because that's that's my home. Um, but the the caliber of these fish, man, are unmatched. I mean, it's you know, it, and it's it's funny. I understand why the locals were were very, you know, there was a lot of great locals that were very welcoming, but there was also a lot of, uh, you know, you don't belong here type of type of attitude. And I understand it because it, it's a it's a gem, you know, it really is. It's something that that needs to be protected. You know, they're worried about people coming and, and you know uh, pillaging the lake, which I completely get because that's something that uh, 
needs to be, you know, respected and taken well care of, and which they are, um, because it's the, the fish out there. I haven't seen fish like that. You know, I, I catch giants in Green Bay. You know, it's, you know, you catch a lot of big ones, and and, and you know, you you get a lot of, you know, very nice fish. But it took me all the way until my last day of practice to catch a fish under 25 inches. So, and, and you know, every every fish I'm catching is between 26 and 32. And it, you don't find that caliber many places. Green Bay in August, you know, is, is probably the closest. Um, I mean, I, I fished it for a week and I had 20 fish over 30 inches, you know, and that's it's, so crazy. And it's, it's cool. Cause I, I always try and keep track of like how many thirties in a, in a season, you know, I, I catch and I, it's July, whatever day it is, middle of July. And I'm at 48 already, you know, and it's, it's, I had, you know, 20, 28 coming into that week on Green Bay. Um, so, you know, Green Bay is a powerhouse fishery, but these fish are just different. I mean, it's, they're, they're built like freaking oxes, you know, it's, yeah. it's, they're, they're round as they are long, you know, and it's, you know, they, the way they fight, I hated it in the tournament because it was terrifying. It would take me five minutes to land a fish, you know, whereas, you know, everywhere else I can kind of powerhouse these fish in. These things... I would just let them throw a throw a fit. I get them to the surface, see what they were, and they scream down like a lake trout down the bottom. And I'm like, oh my god, just get in the damn net, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, someone who you know, someone who has a lot of anxiety. That's not fun in a tournament, you know? Oh um, yeah, like, but, and you already said it too. Like anybody that's ever thrown a glide bait for walleyes, uh, you know, in the summertime. No, it's just like the batting average to landing fish. Like that, this is a big discussion between anglers of like, what do you do with your setup to help you, you know, land more of these fish? Because I mean, it, it it's the type of bite, it's the type of presentation, just the nature of the whole scenario put together. Like nobody is perfect landing fish with glide baits on, you know, on like summertime walleye. So. Yeah, absolutely, man. The anxiety. Do you do you feel like you have any tips or tricks for us as it, it with your jigging rod setup or your jigging wrap setup? Um, you know, whether it's rod, reel, line selection. Like, is there anything in particular that you feel like helps you land more of these fish, big fish? Yeah, you know, I, I kind of, uh, I, I kind of, I don't want to say perfected it because it's not perfect by any means. But I, like I said, if I if I would have landed every fish I've ever caught on a jig wrap, I, I would have a lot more tournament wins. Like, uh, jig wraps have brought me a lot of joy in my life. They've also brought me a lot of heart, heartbreak. <laughs> That's a good and, way to put it. <laughs> and it, it's something that I've, I've worked my butt off to try and dial in. And, uh, you know, the biggest thing I've played with is, um, you know, uh, I'll start I'll start from the bottom up. You know, the biggest thing is I change out all my hooks on my, on my uh, jig wraps, shivers, you know, all my five inch. Um, I upsize because normally they come with number eight hooks. Um, number eight or number sixes. I usually put a number six on. Sometimes if I'm feeling really um, like I want something beefier, I'll go up to a number four. Um, but uh, there's two different treble hooks that I've started playing with and I've had very good success with. Um, one is uh, it's actually a quad treble hook instead of a like a, a three hook treble hook. This is a quad. Um, and this is one that, you know, in the, in the winter, I kind of go into hibernation mode and I fall down the, the rabbit hole of, you know, bait modification. And, uh, you know, I, so I, I started playing with that and I found these quad treble hooks. Um, they're sticky as all get up. Um, and those things work very, very well. I, I use them this week. They're very, very sticky, very, uh, uh, heavy wired. You know, you don't really bend hooks out They're They're really nice. And then there's also another one, and I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head the name of the company. You can find them on Tackle Warehouse. But there's one I think it's called SpinTech, and it actually has an oscillating uh, eyelet up top on top of the treble hook, right? So the biggest thing that happens is these fish roll, right? And they have this, um, you know, they they have the jigging wrap in their mouth. They sit there, thrash roll, and that jigging wrap just kind of holds, and they sit there and torque, and they'll rip those jigging wraps out or rip the out right well this the top pilot on the treble hook actually spins so you can sit there and spin this treble hook like a you know like it just spins all the way around and it spins very fast 
And what's nice with is when this fish thrashes, you know, if it's coming on the on just the treble hook or whatever, and spins, gator rolls, does whatever, um, that treble hook rolls with it. So when it rolls like that, it's not going to rip the hooks out. Um, so that's that's another one that I started playing with um, this last year. I've had a lot of success with with both of them so far. Um, and then the other uh, the other thing I do is I like to run a little bit of a heavier um, main line, uh, fluorocarbon leader, 20 pound, um, so I can really put the boots into them. I don't want to worry about snapping off. Um, and then I always, always tie direct uh, to my whatever glide bait I'm using because that's twofold. A, you get more uh, you get more action out of the bait because um, a, uh, a, a, a snap or a clevis kind of will bend the action a little bit. And then um, it also kind of gives me less moving parts. Uh, you know, you kind of keep that that, uh, that shiver minnow or jig wrap, the, the big hunk of lead kind of pinned in there a little bit better. Because what happens is if they're not rolling and ripping the treble hook out, they're sitting there thrashing with this one-ounce hunk of lead, and it's creating a hole in their mouth. And that's when, you know, most of the time you lose fish boat side on a slide bait because, you know, you're reeling them in, reeling them in, and you got that nice, good side angle, and then all of a sudden you go straight vertical, you change that angle, and that hole you ripped in their mouth it's just enough for that hook to thrash out. Um, so, you know, that's one thing that kind of helps with it. Uh, I like a 15-pound uh, braided line. And then from there I go, I have uh, my rod. I, I use a JT Outdoor Products uh, rod. It's a 6'9 black rain. And it's a medium extra fast. And I love that rod for jig wrapping because most of the, like, the way I work the jig wrap, I don't feel the bite a lot of times. So my, my hook set or my, my hook set is my jigging cadence, right? So you want something that has enough backbone that's going to drive the hooks home, um, but you want something with a fast enough action tip to really get that good action and enough parabolic curve throughout the rod to withstand those head shakes of the fish. You don't want to pull the hooks out, but you want to keep that pinned enough where that fish isn't going to you know, throw the hooks on you. Um, so that's the one thing that really helps. And then I like a little bit faster gear ratio of reel. Uh, I use the Carbon X from PC Bunt. It's a 6 to 2 to 1 gear ratio. It allows me to keep constant pressure on that fish and reel really fast. Because actually one of, one of the cool things that I forgot to mention, on day one of the tournament, there was three fish that I did not know were on until I saw them on LiveScope swimming up with my bait, and they were thrashing on LiveScope trying to shake my hook out because they bit the bait and immediately swam 10 feet up with my line. And I'm sitting there jigging, and I can't feel the weight of this fish. So the only way I know that that fish is on is because it's sitting there crashing on my scope, and it's doing something weird. And I went, oh, God, I got to say it. I, I think it's got it. And I reeled, I had to reel up 12 feet of slack, like, as quick as I could to get that, to drive that treble hook home before that fish was able to thrash that, or thrash that hook out. Um, so you, for situations like that, you want something fast, um, fast gear ratioed. To be able to catch up to it and drive that hook home. Um, then you got to have a smooth drag. I always keep the drag very tight when I'm when I'm working the bait, so I can drive the hook home on that on that snap. You never want the you, you do not want to hear that drag peeling when you're ripping the bait. You want it just heavy enough to where you can set the hook and you might get a little bit of drag out. And then the second I I hook up and I reel down on that fish, that's when I loosen the drag and adjust the drag from there. Um, and then the other thing that's very, very important is you want to keep that rod bowed over as much as you can. It's a fine line between forcing the fish and, uh, like, you know, uh, keeping constant pressure. I want that rod folded in half the entire time. I never want to give it any slack. I don't want to give it any, like, uh, you know, any lightness in the rod. I want that rod doubled over to the cork. You don't want to be, like, forcing it. you got to get a good feel for it. But you want to keep constant pressure on that fish at all times. And a lot of times I'll be reeling even as drag peeling out. Never pump the rod because if you pump the rod and drop it back down, that's a lot of times when you're going to lose a fish. You know, it, it, it's super small detail oriented when it comes to this glide bait fishing. And I still lose fish. You're going to lose fish. Um, but, you know, it's those little things that might just give you one more fish because on day two, three or four of our fish were just skin hooked by the treble hook. Um, and if I didn't do everything perfect on that fish, I would have never landed him. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing too. Uh, you know, like it doesn't, 
it, it doesn't require somebody that's preparing for their next tournament listening to this to get a lot out of that because we all you know anybody that's on the journey of getting better at walleye fishing is in or, or anybody that's enjoying you know forward sonar in their setup you know the glide baits is a big deal and the batting average of landing fish or triggering fish you know you know just whichever what whatever portion of that uh, you know, presentation you feel like is your weakness is like, those are popular conversations. And, you know, listening to your setup is definitely, uh, definitely something that people can take a lot away from. So good recommendations there, man. Well, Max, we're doing so good on time, man. And I appreciate your time in this. I know I've already said it once, but I, I, I gotta say it again, because it's just, uh, it's fun to have a chance to talk to you after a big, uh, a big tournament like this. And just knowing you personally, I just, I wanted to ask you some of those more personal questions about, you know, fishing a place like Fort Peck for the first time. You're there with your buddies. You're fishing, you know, what is, like you said, it's the Super Bowl of walleye fishing in the state of Montana and the surrounding area. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, non-residents that go and fish that tournament because of it's just such a big deal. There's so much rich history there and, you know, the 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 things that we're learning uh, in walleye fishing anglers like yourself, you know, that are just really on the cutting edge of walleye angling in other parts of the world, you know, are, are, you know, influencing certain people's techniques, influencing how people are fishing. And Fort Peck is one of those places where everybody already knows there's big fish out there, but there's a reason that the, you know, the, 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 the two day tournament total weight, record in the state of Montana is just being shattered in the last couple of years. Every single big tournament that has come through, you know, on Fort Peck is just like breaking that, that, that state tournament weight record. Uh, and it's, you know, in, in some part, you know, the fish are big, but they've been big for a long time, but it's definitely, you know, more nuanced anglers, you know, just guys that are just approaching it differently with some of these newer technologies and it's a good thing, and I, I just really enjoy talking about it. I think it spreads anglers out when we find new bites, we find new fish to fish for, and new ways to fish for them. You know, it's um, you know those trolling guys, they're gonna have their day again. You know, there, there's gonna be tournaments down the road where guys that are running, whether it's creek chubs or you know pulling spinners or you know uh, you know once live scope puts pressure on certain fish or certain bites, you know these guys that are trolling crankbaits shallow. Who knows? Maybe next year they're gonna be weighing a hundred pounds. But that being said, um, it's just a really conversations like this are just great. It's just great for the whole industry, man. It's gonna be a great memory for you and your buddies, but. I'm glad to have this conversation recorded because it's just, uh, you know, people, uh, yeah, just this stuff like this just really inspires and moves people. It does for me anyways, for sure. So I appreciate that, man. But we're doing so good on time, man. So unless you got something else on this tournament you want to add, I really appreciate you, uh, uh, you know, giving us the information. And uh, if there's nothing else, uh, you know, let us know uh, where we can find you if anybody has um, you know, questions or wants to follow uh, on your social media or your website to, to look for your merch, the whole thing, like, uh, we can wrap it up that way. Just promote yourself. Yeah, man, I, I appreciate it. And that's, uh, I, that's the biggest thing to kind of add on to what you said, you know, just, that's kind of what I pride myself on in the industry. You know, I, I make no, uh, I'm not shy about it. I hate trolling. Um, and it's, it's not my deal. And I think the reason why I've gone so far into the sport facing sonar Crazy! It's just, you know, when I got into the industry, the industry was kind of a little stagnant, you know, and, and I think really the best way to grow it is to, you know, this is how you grow the industry, you know, change the game a little bit. Yep. And it's, you know, it's fun to be a part of and, you know, it, it really, it's sort of like this year has solidified the fact for me that I never, ever have to touch a trolling rod again unless I'm, you know, guiding or, you know, doing something. Um, but, you know, for me, it's just kind of opened a lot of doors, opened my eyes up a lot. You know, I, I I really enjoy sharing that with people, and that's why I love doing things like this. And you know, there's a there's a lot of different ways to follow. Um, you know, and I post a lot of recap videos, in depth videos, uh, stuff like that. The best way to follow me is uh, you know Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, you know, Max Wilson Fishing, MaxWilsonFishing.com. Uh, I do a lot of uh, you know in person guide trips. Uh, uh, 
you know, uh, sonar seminars, stuff like that, um, you know, live scope lessons, all that. Uh, you can follow along. Also, we got a, a YouTube series that a lot of people are following, uh, Tour Level Goal, um, you know, and and that's the best the best way to follow along, you know, and that's, that's something that I really love doing. It's the, the best way to get the most bang for your buck um, and really get the most in-depth information like this is uh, follow me over on Virtual Angling. It's a really cool app uh, that I've been a part of the last year or so, and you know, I do a lot of in-depth breakdowns. I share a lot of stuff that I don't share with people on that app, uh, so make sure you get subscribed to that. And like I said, it, uh, you know, I appreciate everyone's support, and I appreciate doing interviews like this because uh, it's just too cool. It, these things are too cool for me to keep to myself. Um, I like learning this stuff, and I like sharing it with the with the world and, and helping others become a better fisherman because it's, it's just too cool not to share. So I appreciate you uh, letting me uh, run my run my mouth about it and, and talk about it for the last hour. Oh, yeah, dude. Oh, dude. Even even if we weren't recording a podcast, you know I'd have been hitting you up. I'd have been hitting you up for this conversation. So I just feel like, yeah, like, you know, that's one of my favorite parts of the industry is to just kind of make this stuff relatable. You know, these conversations with, you know, individuals that are just out there doing it on the cutting edge that are, you know, guys are professionals. And then there's those of us that just uh, are just starving for the the inspiration and the information and the stories that just entertain like yeah just uh yeah definitely does not disappoint man but yeah man well i'll let you back to it brother yeah, no problem man i appreciate good talking to you and i'll talk to you soon all right later man the fishing opportunities across the state of montana are phenomenal if you're from there or you've already been there a bunch to experience it, you know just how special these opportunities are. If you haven't, fishing out west should absolutely be on your bucket list. But aquatic invasive species like zebra mussels and Eurasian water milfoil can harm recreational opportunities. As boaters, as anglers, we have the ability to help protect Montana's waters by cleaning all mud, plants and debris off our boat, recreational equipment, and fishing gear before we leave any access sites. Drain the water from your motor, your live well, your bilges, and allow your boat and equipment time to dry before your next outing. No matter what watercraft you use, please, if you're traveling in the state of Montana, stop at all inspection stations. Together, we can protect Montana's waters. Visit the link in the description of this podcast for more information. That's fwp.mt.com dot gov backslash AIS.